The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fifth Doctor story, Terminus. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who. We're, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. You can also retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And uh, be sure to leave us comments in both places. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows, where we talk about all kinds of movies and TV shows besides uh, specific ones like Doctor Who. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. And finally, I want to encourage you to stick around to the end of the show because we have a little bit of listener feedback that we want to share with you and discuss. But first, before we talk about Terminus, there's obviously some news. You're getting this uh, discussion uh, weeks after the news came out, but we thought we'd throw our two cents in about the new doctor. It's, it's, it's new to us, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, right, that's right. It's still new for us, so be excited with us uh, once again. Uh, so the BBC has announced the, the new doctor is a young man named Shuti Gatwa. Maybe. Uh, well, right. I'm going off of what the BBC said his his name is pronounced. So whatever well, I, is, is pronounced, I, that's how we're going to do it. <laughs> I, I well maybe um, that's so his name is he's of Rwandan origin, although he grew up in Scotland, and yeah. uh, his name is spelled N C U T I. And um, in other languages, when you have an N on the front of a word, it normally has a phonetic value. And um, and so I suspect that English speakers in Great Britain have just had difficulty making that initial N sound, and it has dropped off the name, and the BBC has the wimpy, you know, inaccurate, let's accommodate people and not ask them to say a, a, a combination of phonemes they're not used to saying, um, wimpy guide. <laughs> Okay. pronunciation okay well as long but as it's actually pretty yeah. easy to train yourself to say uh combinations like that all you have to do is imagine a word that has that the combination of phonemes you want in the middle of it so you could like the english word uh sun has a final n sound so you could you could say sun shooty as a as a kind of stepping stone to getting to say shooty if that's how Rwandan combine uh, has the, I'm just thinking because Irish has like mm -hmm. letter combinations that do not sound at all like either of the two letters, and I'm wondering if Rwandan has the same thing. But well, anyway. it it could, but but those Irish has that because it has used the Latin alphabet for a long time, mm. and that and it's had the same kind of phonemic drift that English has, so that um so that the 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 spelling is way off from the pronunciation but in if you see in c u t i mm -hmm. in another language 
it's it's plausible c is a sh sound because there's not a a single letter in the latin alphabet for sh um so c gets used in place of sh and ch and things like that um but if you've got an n in front of it that should that should have a pronounced value i mean what is it, what 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 spelling system is this supposed to be english <laughs> yeah i don't know well, anyway, in uh, the 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 lang- national language of Rwanda, which is Kenya Rwanda, mm-hmm. it is his name means friend. So, which is mm, cool. or companion, even you could say <laughs> that would be ironic. That would be ironic. So, in any case, he's the new doctor. He's a uh, uh, young-ish. I'm not sure how old he is. Twenty nine, I thought. Yeah, he's late twenties. Not the youngest, though. I think uh, Matt Smith was the youngest when he first mm-hmm. became doctor. So he he was younger still. Um, so just he, slightly. Yeah. Um, I have never seen him in anything. I don't mm. know, you know, of, of what, what kind of actor he's like, but, um, he's a comedian. Okay. Co- uh, comic actor. That's well, I mean, that's worked out in the past. So, mm-hmm. um, when he's, he's known for, for one series, uh, kind of a teenage high school type series. He's a, you know, character in that. But I think that's really yeah. was really his first big role to begin with. So there's the, I don't think he has a lot of, you know, major roles that we can kind of find out more about him. So it'll be interesting to to see how he plays Doctor. And of course, just because he's got a one way that he plays a character doesn't mean that he's going to play the Doctor that way by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, right. Yeah. Right. One thing that was that Russell T Davies was pretty quick to say I noticed in the interviews was um, that this was not so he since he's Rwandan, he happens to be black, and you know there's this question of okay, look, we just had our first woman doctor, Jody Whitaker. Will they go back to being a man, and 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 or will 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 that be regressive? You know, like a strike against the cause of diversity and representation. And well, another way to do that is is have a race swap. Mm-hmm. And Russell T. Davies was very quick to say this was not made on that basis. We thought we had someone else, and then Chudy came in and just knocked it out of the park, and we chose him because he was the best actor we saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which is oh, which could be could yeah. could be true. But either way, I'm looking forward to someone other than Jodie Whittaker and someone with better Doctor Who sensibilities than Chris Chibnall writing. Yes, <laughs> I like Jodie Whittaker. Like I liked her as an actress before. I just think she got terrible writing, and that's that's. I think that's oh, yeah. the going to be the big difference. Hopefully, um, I yeah. I I have nothing against Jodie Whittaker as an actress or a person. She just ends up playing characters I don't like. Even her character in Broadchurch, which I've seen all three seasons of. The first mm-hmm. two seasons were really good. The third season was less good. Yeah. Um, but her character becomes progressively more unsympathetic as Broadchurch rolls along to where yeah. by the end of it, it's like, she's just, I don't like this character anymore. Although Chris Chibnall wrote that too. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to say, but yeah, I, I, uh, I agree that, um, it's hard to say, you know, how she would have been under, you know, you just can't say how, how, uh, In- Moffat or. Russell T. Davies would have written her or whatever. And, and we have criticized Chris Chimnall's writings on Doctor Who, so, I mean, that shouldn't surprise yeah. you that even when he is the showrunner, we're still <laughs> going to criticize his writings, at least a couple right. of, you know, we've each had episodes that we haven't liked of his, so. 43. So, uh, yeah. we 
we should uh, also talk about the other news, maybe uh, that. Uh, well, which I, is- I don't don't know which other news you were thinking of. I was going to mention. Speaking of new doctors, we may as well talk about old doctors because David well, Tennant's tenth news. doctor and yeah. Donna Noble are going to be coming back in some capacity for one of the upcoming specials. Yeah, that was the other news I was going to bring up. Was uh, Russell T Davies said for the. The show's 60th anniversary celebration in 2023. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a special later this year for the regeneration of the, the 13th Doctor that celebrates the BBC's 100th. So that's one celebration. But next year is the is Doctor Who's 60th already. It seems like we just did the 50th. And uh, they're bringing back David Tennant and Catherine Tate somehow. We don't know how. We don't know in what context. Probably one of those timeline crossing things like they did oh, with yeah. the fifth doctor and and the tenth doctor sort of thing it'll is be, my guess it'll likely be somewhere in the middle of the the doctor and donna time frame you know where it's it's in yeah, the middle sure. of that season somewhere kind of like they do with big finish likes to do where this happened after this episode and you know things like that mm-hmm. the um for people who may be wondering why we're being vague about this it's because at, in donna's final appearance she had gained so much knowledge that she couldn't handle it, and her brain was basically going to explode. And so the doctor mind-wiped her memories of her time with the doctor to save her life. Mm-hmm. And so the question was, like, how can she and David Tennant come back if she will, if her, if she remembers him, her mind will burn and she will die? So how are they going to handle that issue? And an obvious one of many possible sci-fi ways is oh this is just earlier in their timeline. Yep. Right. Right. Now uh, I would love to see Wilfred Wilf her her grandfather back, but of yeah. course Bernard Cribbins is still with us for yes. now. But but he's but quite, quite elderly. elderly. He's over ninety. Yeah. So yeah, that would be hard for him. But uh, it's you know I I I really like the uh, Donna Noble companion. I think it and Chris, uh, I mean Russell T Davies created that that pairing, so I would love to see him write them again. Uh, you know, uh, David Tennant is one of my favorite doctors. Of mm-hmm. the three Tennant companions, Rose, Martha, and Donna, I think there's fairly substantial agreement among fans that Donna's the favorite. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, there, I I saw fans. There was much rejoicing <laughs> when, yeah. when when this was announced. <laughs> Um, I actually wanted David Tennant to come back as the Doctor, the Fourteenth Doctor again, but you know, in I'm, some I'm, way. I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad they didn't go that way. I, I really kind of <laughs> am. He, he already had two regenerations. I mean, come on. Well, we could have <laughs> the Metacrisis or something. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Plus the Metacrisis. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's the news. That's our our reaction to the news. Uh, there may be more news by the time you hear this, and we'll we'll talk about there that. There will be. In- Russell Davies has already been hinting more news on Twitter. Which is, you know, frankly, I like this switch from the previous, which is we hold all cards to our chest uh, you know, until the very last moment we can reveal it. Sort of stuff like there's no reason not to let people know this sort of stuff ahead of time, including BBC when it shows will air. <laughs> it's always and, and very maybe, handy to have that. <laughs> and maybe that's Russell T. Davies saying, if you want to save the show and you want me back, here's how it works. I am going to be letting more information out than you'd like to. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. This is the this is how it works in the uh, social media age. Anyway, uh, so that's the news. Let's move on to discussing today's uh, topic, which is this Fifth Doctor story called Terminus. Uh, And if, Jimmy, if you could give us a recap of what happens in Terminus. 
The Black Guardian has ordered the Fifth Doctor's new companion, Turlo, to kill the Doctor, but Turlo's heart isn't into the plan. Reluctantly, Turlo sabotages the TARDIS, which triggers failsafe, causing the TARDIS to seek out and open a portal to the nearest spaceship. On the spaceship, the Doctor and crew meet a couple of space pirates with extreme 1980s hairstyles who are after the ship's cargo. But it turns out that the cargo is actually a bunch of space lepers being taken to another larger spaceship called Terminus which happens to be sitting at the center of the known universe. Terminus is run by a heartless corporation that operates it using a bunch of guards who are human slaves known as the Veneer. Another of the slaves is the Garm, a giant hulking space dogman. Nyssa becomes infected with the space plague, and eventually the Garm cures her by exposing her to a massive dose of radiation. Nyssa realizes that the cure works, but it's too dangerous and needs to be refined. Meanwhile, the Doctor discovers that Terminus is actually a giant, is a gigantic time ship, and once, when it was in flight, it dumped a load of unstable hydrogen fuel into a void, causing Event 1, the Big Bang, before being thrown forward in time to its present location, still at the center of the universe. Tegan and Turlow have, have had almost nothing to do this episode except crawl through ductwork, but fortunately... Turlo messes with some wiring that apparently causes Terminus to prepare to dump another load of explosive hydrogen fuel. The Doctor realizes this time it will destroy the universe, but he's not physically strong enough to operate the controls to stop it, so he enlists the Garm, the giant space dogman, to do it for him. He and Nyssa then explain that they can free the Veneer from enslavement to the Terminus Corporation and Nyssa decides to stay on Terminus to help the Garm perfect the cure for the space plague so that they can help all the space lepers. The end. Okay, so um, lots going on there, and yet mm -hmm. it felt at times like there was nothing going on except yeah. crawling through tunnels. <laughs> I, I, was, I looked up uh, in, so there's a two-volume comedic, sort of comedic history of Doctor Who called Space Helmet for a Cow. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked up this episode in that, and uh, the author, uh, Paul Kirkley, says, The middle part of the Black Guardian trilogy, Terminus, has a reputation for being a bit slow and boring, at least until Nissa's clothes fall off. <laughs> it's, it's certainly light on Earthshock-style whizzes and bangs, and being set aboard what is effectively a leper colony, the use of the word prompted a complaint on behalf of the leprosy mission, it's not exactly a laugh riot. But, like writer Stephen Gallagher's previous story, Warrior's Gate, Terminus treats its audience with intelligence and rewards their patience with a script full of interesting ideas and rich dialogue. Um, I thought, at points, this was had kind of a cinematic pacing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like what you'd find in a movie. And I saw a comment th uh, that er Eric Sayward, the uh, script editor in this period, thought this would have worked better as a movie rather than being cut into four parts. But you, it does. It has a fairly leisurely pace, but I, mm -hmm. I found it creepy and effective. And if you watch it like it's a movie, I think it comes off better. Yeah. That's interesting. Al also, Kirk Kirkley in Space Helmet for a Cow had another, noted something else I'd read elsewhere. Um, Gallagher, that's the author, envisioned the Garm as a sort of shape in the darkness and was dismayed to find he'd ended, he ended up as a giant talking dog. <laughs> the costume was so hot that the actor inside, R.J. Bell, kept fainting, possibly because they kept leaving him in the car without opening a window. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, 
interesting though you, you mentioned about you know watching this as a movie and I, i've mentioned before on the podcast that when i watched dark two as a kid the pbs station would broadcast edited movie format episodes so you'd watch terminus and instead of seeing the four different parts whether it is you know on different days or as, as one it would all they'd cut out all the cliffhangers and watch it as a movie and, and and maybe that's why I, I i seem to recall this episode being a little more interesting although and really for preparation for this podcast i pretty much watch them all four in a row anyways mm. so you don't get quite the cliffhanger that concern but it but it is kind of interesting though that i do remember this episode a little more little more fondly uh than watching it as separate episodes yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so only the, this is the only time i've seen it and i mean it, i i i agree i like the concept and it's interesting uh there were like you mentioned Turlo and Tegan spend most of the time crawling through a ductwork. I mean, they it's basically bit... do nothing else. Yes, mm-hmm. it's basically like Die Hard for for two yeah. hours for them, uh, or however long it is, hour and a half. And so uh, there, there's that. But yeah, I mean, there are interesting elements that that come out in this, and you have interesting guest characters and that sort of stuff. So let you know, let's dig into some of it. Uh, yeah, actually, before we dig into it, I, yeah. I had another piece of news I wanted to mention at the top of the show that I forgot. Oh, okay. Uh, so let me do that real quick. Um, so Big Finish has, uh, as soon as, as, as um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on her name now, um, the Is actress it? who plays the fugitive doctor. Oh, yes. Yeah, Joe Martin. Joe Martin. Jo- yeah. As soon as Joe Martin appeared in Fugitive of the Jadoon, I said, I want my Big Finish for box set fugitive doctor audio plays and big finish is now doing that mm, so right. they have uh they have signed joe martin to uh do fugitive doctor plays the first set is available for pre-order at the same time they announced sasha dewan as the spy master is getting his own series too and the first set of that is also available so the two breakout characters of of Jodie Whittaker's era of Doctor Who, the Fugitive Doctor, and the Spy Master are both going to have continuing adventures. In uh, the Fugitive Doctor's case, it's set after Fugitive of the Jadoon, mm. so they're 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 not going back to tell the story at this point. They're not going back to tell the story of her time with the Division. They're going to be telling her story on the run. I bet that's to give future showrunners yes space exactly. Also, they have um, uh, they have a uh, a set a new series now uh, set around the War Doctor. Uh, after the War Doctor was introduced, played by John Hurt, they uh, they made a number of plays with John Hurt as the War Doctor. They did several sets of that, and they had plans for more, and they even had scripts. But then John Hurt died. And so what they've done now is they've cast another actor who is known as a John Hurt impersonator mm-hmm. uh, to play a younger version okay. of the of the War Doctor, and it's called The War Doctor Begins. And I've got the first set. I've already listened to the first play. It's set immediately after his regeneration, mm-hmm. um, so right after Night of the Doctor, and he's still coming to terms with his shift in identity and who he is now. And is he the Doctor anymore? They also have a set coming up uh, featuring the War Doctor and David Tennant. Uh, David Tennant has been doing a lot of big finish recently, including team-ups with other Doctors. So, like, I've already heard the 10th Doctor and 4th Doctor set, which is pretty cool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if you're if you like the Fugitive Doctor or the Spy Master or the War Doctor or David Tennant, Big Finish has a bunch of stuff for you right now. Cool, excellent, awesome. excellent. So, uh, so as we mentioned, this is the second of the Black Guardian trilogy. To, mm-hmm. Just to recap, we had uh, the Modern Undead was the first one that introduced us to both the Black Guardian and Turlo, uh, who yeah. is an we, alien on Earth. Yeah, we knew the Black Guardian before from the Key to Time series, but yep. we haven't covered that on the show yet. Okay, uh, th- I hadn't seen him before. So I was going to say we should be getting pretty close for that one, but with our look which, back at number four. But that's the fourth Doctor. Okay, mm-hmm. um, yep. so he's a Time Lord. Right? No, no, he okay. he's he's sort of I don't know if he's technically an eternal, but he is he's one of these supremely powerful entities in the universe. He's oh, okay. counterbalanced by the White Guardian and they sort of play chess with the universe. Think think okay. kind of a Q type character. Yeah. Uh, OK. Uh, so the Black Guardian is guiding Turlo to take steps to take control of the TARDIS, uh, uh, even as Tegan is very suspicious of Turlo, and he's very patronizing toward her. I mean, like, infuriatingly so, uh, yeah. as, he, as, he, as she uh, confronts him. And, well, of course, uh, he's, you know, we, we found out, of course, that he's from another planet. He's not from Earth, so, of course, he's superior to those silly, ridiculous Earthlings. Right. He was really obnoxious in Modern Undead, and yeah. you know, only slightly less so now. He gets better. Yeah. I did appreciate a discussion that he and Tegan had, because she's extremely suspicious of him. Mm-hmm. And he's sneaking in, with good reason. I mean, he's mm-hmm. sneaking around on the, on the TARDIS. Uh, the Black Guardian is directing him how to do sabotage. He has him open one of the roundels. And he even, u- the Black Guardian uses the word roundel. Yep. Yeah. Which is in New Who, they've just, they seem to have forgotten that word. And even the Doctor is just talking about those round things. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, they were called roundels, which is a real term. It's even an architectural term, although in architecture, it refers to a kind of round fortress. Mm. But it also can mean a decorative disc or medallion, which is presumably where they got it for here. Mm-hmm. But the Black Guardian is having Turlo open roundels and switch things around. And, and Tegan doesn't see him doing this, but she's very suspicious and they have a big argument. And he points out at one point that, you know, she could be nice. I mean, he's much more polite than she is. I mean, in some superficially, at least. Mm -hmm. And he he talks about her sledgehammer tactics. And she says, well, at least my sledgehammer tactics are honest as opposed to your your slimy politeness. Mm -hmm. And this is a kind of I don't know if this kind of cultural disconnect happens between Australians and people of what would be Turlow's social class in Britain. But we have this in America um, between North and South, um, where Northerners, like think New Yorkers, are famously blunt, Mm -hmm. whereas Southerners are famously polite. And it's really just two different ways of, of processing social situations. They both work. Um, But to people from a, a a northern blunt perspective southern politeness can seem insincere maybe insinc- insincere yeah. and to people from a southern perspective norman northern bluntness can seem unnecessarily bombastic mm. right but really they're just two ways of of processing social situations 
And, um, and I, I thought it was fascinating to see this cultural difference between Tegan and Turlow. Yeah, he tells her, like, being rude isn't honesty. Like, she says, at least I'm honest. He's like, rude, rudeness isn't honesty. It's just rudeness. No, but it can entail honesty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also interesting at this point, we get introduced to the companions' rooms. They, I mean, obviously they have to live somewhere on the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And in New Who, we never see, like, the bedrooms. Like the, right. We've seen yeah. a few other TARDIS rooms, but never, like, where they live. Well, and it- so we get... We get to see uh, Tegan's room and Adric's old room now being Nissa's given over room. to Turlo. Sorry, Nissa's room and Turlo's uh, new room. And, and uh, we've so seen some of these rooms room. before. I mean, in, in Classic yeah. Who, we, we've seen uh, several companions' bedrooms, uh, usually, of course, the same set, but right. yeah, we, we've seen them before. Including yeah. Adric's, like uh, we saw it in Earthshock, as I recall. Thanks. Right. Uh, so, and you mentioned that Turlo messes with the console. Don't ever mess with the console. Just, just don't. And uh, it causes a dimensional instability, uh, w- which is focused on Nissa's uh, bedroom. And the the outside universe is breaking in, and the doctors, you know, there's a, a doorway opens up, and Nissa, go through it or you'll die. And so she has to go through the doorway into this other ship. And it, apparently, the TARDIS has a fail safe that if it starts breaking up. It locks onto the closest spacecraft, and it doesn't land. It connects to it like a doorway, like an airlock mm-hmm. sort of thing, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting that it didn't just land there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and they don't explain why it doesn't just land, although you could headcanon that of if it's breaking up, it may not be safe for it to land. It, right. might, it might rip apart you know, oh, yeah. the spaceship if it landed and then fell apart. I like uh, Tegan says, why have you never mentioned this failsafe before? And the doctor says, it's never worked before. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh, comforting. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like all the way back to the second Doctor Who story, or the third Doctor Who story, um, where the, the two-parter, where they were edge of destruction, yep. where they were trapped mm-hmm. in the vortex and in, da- and in danger of horrible stuff happening it's like yeah it could have worked there and it didn't <laughs> would have been handy yeah <laughs> so tegan goes through i'm sorry nissa go i keep i'm gonna keep doing that nissa goes through the doorway and then wanders off uh and then the doctor ends up going through he jams the door open with a chair which is a nice <laughs> throw by the way by the doctor really a very yeah. flimsy chair too it's like just a <laughs> One of those cheapo office chairs that doesn't even swivel, and he just throws it and lodges yeah. the, the door open. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, the ones you see in the uh, doctor's waiting room. And yeah. uh, he tells Tegan to stay there in the TARDIS while he goes to look for Nyssa. But of course, this is Doctor Who. Companions never do what they're told. <laughs> and so she, of course, follows him out, and Turlough follows her. And the door shuts behind them, locking them out of the TARDIS. And, and we should mention, too, that this is one of the creepiest doors, like, ever, because it's got literally a skull painted in multiple colors. Right. Yeah, it, it looks like it looks like a bunch of graffiti artists have been tagging this place with, with creepy skull logos. It actually kind of looks like a Grateful Dead-type logo or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of yeah. psychedelic skull-type. It, it's very heavy metal, yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of heavy metal, then 80s hairband then uh, invades this ship, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> these, these pirates, uh, the uh, big hair aliens, and they take the Doctor and Nissa captive because they don't understand that the this is a basically a death ship. They 
they're the worst pirates ever. They, they yeah. attack like, oh, we're going to get rich off of this thing. Nope, it's a ship carrying uh, full of a, a pandemic uh, uh, victims. Victims. Yeah. Uh, so they take doctrine, the Doctor and Nissa captive. Meanwhile, Tegan, this was a confusing sequence. Tegan is looking for Nissa and hears her calling them from behind a door, but she can't be there. Uh, like, why was she hearing Nissa through this doorway, which on the other side of the door are actually the leper uh, victims, leprosy victims? Why? I, I, <laughs> I just thought it was Nissa's voice echoing down the hallway, and Tegan was uncertain of where the voice was coming from. Yeah, I guess although, but Nissa was already captured by this point. I don't know. It was really weird. I, yeah, I, I, was, maybe that's what it is. Well, this yeah. is in this is the moment where we're heading out of the first episode. So this is our cliffhanger. We need something dramatic, and yeah, and and Tegan is thinking she's hearing Nissa behind this door. But when the door opens, all of these creepy bandaged leper arms come out and seize her. For and, some reason. <laughs> yeah, and well, it looks really cool, so I'm willing to yeah. forgive him because you know this is the cliffhanger. Sure, sure. And and then the younger guy, the younger space pirate, whose name is Alvir, mm-hmm. which I, I couldn't get out of my head. So all in the Legion of Superheroes in the 31st century, Alvir is a tiny Daxamite child who becomes obsessed with Dark Side. And so I keep having the name All <laughs> Veer. It's hyphenated like a Kryptonian name, Cal L All Veer. Yeah. Um, I kept having that in my head. But but whoever the actor is who plays All Veer in this episode really earns his pay at mm. the end of part one because he's screaming about this is now I know where we are. This is this is terminus where the Lazars come to die and we're all going to die. And he's he's screaming about this. And it's very effective, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lazars, which is interesting. The, the, the lepers are called Lazars. Is that a Lazarus reference? Uh, presumably, but it not. Uh, but it's, they never make that explicit. Yeah. Um. They they instead explain it as Lazar's disease. So right. presumably there would have been someone named Lazar who either had or discovered the disease at some point. So, and if they get touched by one of the Lazars, they're going to get the disease and die. Which apparently Tegan is immune because she gets touched by all the yeah. Lazars. <laughs> so and we'll, the doctor, and it's also airborne. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they, I mean, they do explain that Nissa got cut somewhere, although I don't remember if we actually see it on screen, but that she, her mm. thumb got cut, and that's how she got it. Oh, hmm. I guess, okay. yeah, okay. They need yeah. to be clear on their on their method of uh, plague Trans- transmission here. Well, if they were only wearing masks, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> not gotta go there. Space <laughs> masks don't work. Space <laughs> masks don't work. <laughs> <laughs> although, so, although they do need the big bubble head. Uh, air uh, masks, helmets for the hair, yeah. but still, <laughs> yeah, they have to cover the hair. Huge, yeah. Uh, oh, what what is obvious though? It, it, even if Lazarus sounds like Lazarus, what is obvious is terminus. Mm-hmm. Uh, terminus is simply Latin for the end. The end. Yep. It's the end of the line. So, at this point, I was thinking, why does Turlo obey the Black Guardian? Because if the if Turlo needs if he if the Black Guardian needs Turlo to attack the Doctor, he can't. You know, he, if he could attack Turlo remotely, why can't he attack the Doctor remotely? Why does he need Turlo? Shh, it's art. <laughs> you don't question oh. art. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, yeah. I get that it's, later on he he zaps him through the little um, votive lamp thing that he that mm-hmm. Turlo's carrying around. 
I know it looks like a little. It looks like a little votive candle hole. It looks like a little <laughs> candle holder that yeah. he's got in his palm, and it lights up, and he talks to the Black Guardian. So the deal is that uh, the Black Guardian will help Turlo get home to his home planet, Tryon, if he kills the Doctor for him. Mm -hmm. But Turlo, like a normal person, is very squeamish about killing other people and doesn't want to do it. Mm. Um, what What is never clear is if the Black Guardian is such a powerful being, why doesn't he attack the Doctor himself? Right, right. And and a headcanon way is, okay, it's guardian rules. Like, he would break some kind of, the white guardian would come get him if he acted directly. Mm -hmm. So he has to work through surrogates or something like that. Right. Like like an 80s Cold War spy novel. (laughs) Yeah. And it's possible he doesn't have quite the power that he wants to think. Again, that's another headcanon thing of Mm -hmm. he's not, as powerful, but he can control Turlo because he's Turlo's got the little votive candle communication right. device. Right. Uh, meanwhile, Olvir, who I kept calling Oliver in my head, uh, mm-hmm. says that Terminus is run by a commercial company called Terminus, and he, he has this line, they just play on irrational fear just like the old plagues. They terrified people, and this is no different. It isn't something you'd admit to. And I'm thinking, wow, this is just like ripped out of social media from 2021. <laughs> <laughs> like Very the old plagues, remember? For us, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I also like how as soon as they mention we're, we're on Terminus, the doctor t- turns to Niss and says, let's get out of here. And <laughs> yeah. like, doesn't want to stay and help. Just let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a nice place. Oh, time to go. <laughs> Uh, and then we see the the veneer. They're uh, running Terminus. They wear this skeleton-looking armor, which is apparently a radiation suit. So, mm-hmm. You know, it, it holds back the radiation. Um, and as you mentioned, they are a, a slave labor force. Uh, they don't want to be there. I mean, who else would you get to work there, I guess? Yeah. One thing to no- kind of notice about them, so they're called the veneer, and they have very Nordic-sounding names like Boar. Arak, Valgard, and so forth. And mm. there's a reason for that. They're space Vikings, essentially. Yes. The uh, the veneer in Norse mythology are the subordinate tribe of gods. So mm. the the um uh, in in ancient Scandinavian religion, in northern European religions, you had these two tribes of gods. Um, the Aesir had Odin and Thor Mm -hmm. and those guys, and they were the ones that the Norse worshipped. They worshipped the Aesir, but they also knew about this other tribe of gods called the Vanir, who were kind of subordinate to the Aesir. And so here we have these characters who are subordinates, they're slaves to the Terminus Corporation, named the Vanir, and they're given these Norse-sounding names. And I also, I kind of want to interpret the Garm, even though they never they never make this clear, but I kind of want to interpret him as like a cipher for the Fenris wolf mm. from Norse mythology. Mm. Yeah, uh, actually, if, you, if you're a Tolkien fan, the the Vanir versus the Aesir would be like the Valar versus the Maiar, like the the mm-hmm. up, the, the the greater gods, the lesser gods, and that was, sort of thing. So I was thinking, like in AD and D, Dungeons and Dragons, you've got you know uh, gods and demigods. Right, they're sort of yeah, sort of the demigods. Um, well, in in Norse mythology, the Vanir and the Asir are the same species. They're all gods. It's just they're two different tribes of gods, and one tribe has been dominantly has been dominant historically. They've like won the battles and stuff. Okay. 
So uh, Nissa starts feeling sick. She starts getting sick and starts taking her clothes off for some reason. So here's the here's the story on that. Um, <laughs> Nissa's Nissa is wearing a very. She used to be very prim and proper and like buttoned mm-hmm. up to the neck. I remember when she that. was yeah. first introduced, and her clothing has gradually gotten more casual. And now she's wearing a very skimpy blouse. And a skirt and jacket. Mini skirts. Yeah. Yeah. It's not not quite a mini skirt, but it's a it's a short skirt. Yeah. And 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 over the calf jack boots or whatever you call them for women, riding boots yeah. or something. Yeah. And um they're not really riding boots. But uh sh- at at originally the script writer um had had uh, been assuming she was gonna be wearing the same costume as previous as the previous season, in which she had a broach. Mm. And he he wrote it for her to drop the brood to as a clue to tell the doctor where she was, so he could like follow the trail to find her. Right. And then they changed her costume in the gap between seasons, and she didn't have the brooch anymore. So as a according to Sarah Sutton, the actress who plays Nissa, as a thank you for her male fans for <laughs> um, her final story, she dropped her skirt instead of her her brooch. Leaving her essentially wearing what looks like undergarments. It's a sort of shaft dress, but it's yeah. so thin it looks like a negligee. Yeah, that's <laughs> what do they call the camisole? Something I don't know. I yeah, I, I've got a wife and three daughters, and I don't know any of that stuff. Well, uh, <laughs> I've, I've seen it. What she's wearing referred to as a shift, but apparently it's yeah. not because I looked it up and and a shift, technically speaking, does not have a. a a tuck at the waist, mm-hmm. and this one does, making it a shaft dress, which I had not been familiar with before. Oh, yeah, okay. it, it looked more like the her top was actually part of a a larger, a longer dress, not just a not right. just like a top and then something on you know a skirt underneath. All our female listeners are yelling at their <laughs> their yeah. phones. Either either way, you just get this bizarre scene where she drops her skirt she just, and she's yes. got something else underneath it. So I'm just We're, feeling so ill. I just need to take my short skirt off. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that was. I mean, if I was a teenage boy, I would I would be glued to the screen at this point. But uh, th- that's I guess was the the fan base. But Oliver at the at the same time tells talks about how he lost his sister to the sickness. Uh, and because he's traumatized by this, he lets Nissa get dragged off by you know by the uh, the little robot that uh, that. So what happens is the ship arrives at Terminus, and everyone has to get off, and then the ship has to be sterilized. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anybody's on board, this little robot comes around and drags them off the ship into Terminus. And yeah. Not very, not very good robot because people can sneak by it very easily. Literally crawl it's, underneath its viewpoint. It's not port, a very right? effective droid. Yeah, and uh, neither is the sterilization all that effective it, because it, everybody it, gets it, exposed to it. Yeah. Also, the droid is. Notice how Star Wars that droid is. This is clearly it's like a multi-armed non-humanoid droid. Yeah. And it looks it looks like something you'd see in Star Wars. So I've at least they were like trying. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So the the veneer apparently need regular doses of Ketracel White to remain yeah. alive. <laughs> uh, sorry. They need uh, regular rave glow sticks. <laughs> that's yes. right. Now, to their credit, this pre- predates D. Stein by some period of time, but uh, yeah. that's what it reminded me of. But it's called Hydromel. Uh, mm-hmm. Which and- would be Greek for, like, honey water or which which is mead. There's another... Yep. 
there's another Norse reference for you. Honey water is mead and hydromel is, it would mean honey water or sweet water. Yes. Uh, and it's apparently an anti-radiation uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it's, uh, it's really a common glow stick that you would buy at Six Flags and let your kids wave around in the dark and it glows <laughs> yeah, green. Exactly. That's where it was. Uh, and the Terminus Corporation has been watering it down for them, which is uh, nice of them. Uh, the Lazar, as part of this process, are taken away to the Garm uh, and never seen. They're taken into the Forbidden Zone and never seen again, uh, which uh, implies that they are killed off. Yeah, but that it turns out that's not true. They they aren't killed off. The, the, so the forbidden zone is forbidden apparently because it has very high radiation. There's like an engine leak in there that they've never mm-hmm. fixed. Mm. And the garm exposes people to a very high dose of radiation which does cure the Lazar's disease but also years down the line can give them radiation diseases. Why it doesn't give them immediate, you know, acute radiation sickness, I don't know. Um, because typically if you get a really high dose of radiation, you become sick now and you either, uh, survive it or you don't, but if you survive it, yeah, then later you can get cancer or, or lymphoma or whatever. Um, but, but there is this first initial round of sickness, right? And that doesn't seem to happen in these cases, but it, apparently, it, it's kind of a conveyor belt. You go in, and the Garm deals with you, and then you get put on a pickup ship, right? Like on the other side of the station, beyond the Forbidden Zone, and and get taken off Terminus and go somewhere. But we don't know in, hardly anything about that. Well, and Nissa is found yeah. in a decontamination chamber, mm-hmm. you know. So, and she does does mention, um, or she wakes up basically in this chamber. So you can imagine that could be the the that initial sickness. That come from that, mm, but right, mm. but but I think she was saying that some because the the treatment is so you know uh, brute force that right. most people don't survive it. Correct, and and so they many I, many, but yeah, that's correct. Yes, yeah, I I, I, I didn't okay, I didn't get the sense that people were coming out the other end, but I guess like because Olvir's sister it, doesn't come out the other end. Right, it goes by really fast, but at the end, the doctor is talking to Valgard, okay. who's one of the veneer, and says, you know you need to give this message to the pickup ship. And Valgard is like, the what? You know, the pickup ship where they come and get the people who've been cured. Right. And and Val, I don't know if this is the first Valgard has heard about a pickup ship, but they do mention it. Oh, I thought it was just the doctor assuming there was a pickup ship. No, um, no, no, because okay. we know people get healed. We know people yeah. get healed and, and okay. they're taken, but they... We don't see it, you know. We don't see the the, the dock yeah. on the sure. other side of the of terminus where the pickup ship comes. But yeah, we, okay. it's uh, this is it, a bit of a writing flaw because it's implied early on for dramatic purposes that no one returns from terminus. Yeah, yeah. and this is not even apparently stated. <laughs> well, yeah, they state it, uh, but yeah. and then they walk it back at the end. Okay, but they do okay. walk it back. By the way, uh, the I don't know who the actor is who plays Valgard, but. Patrick Stewart was considered for the role. Oh, that would be cool. So, yeah, if this had been a slightly (laughs) different timeline, Patrick Stewart would have been playing that. Was, uh, I've seen him in other things, that actor. Mm -hmm. Like, I was looking at him, I didn't look him up, but I've seen him in other shows. And so, although, um, yeah, he was considered for a bunch of different roles in, Mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in Doctor Who, but 
I'm trying to think of other things I've seen him in, but anyway. The, the actor who really stood out for me, I don't know his name, but among the veneer, there's one actor who I think did a really good job, and it's the guy who plays Boar. Mm, yes. Um, Boar has this... Uh, He's a genuinely likable guy. He puts his own life at risk to help other people. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he basically gives himself fatal radiation poisoning to help others. Um, he later gets hydromel, but he's not expecting that. But his performance is split between we briefly see him in his right mind, and then we see him in this kind of helpful but demented state. Right. After he's been radiation poisoned and he can't remember things and he says, oh, the short term memory is always the first thing to go. <laughs> and and he's his his performance is really nice shifting between these. And then he gets his after he gets the hydromel, he's more back in his right mind, but shifting between his his sane self and his demented but helpful self is really interesting to watch. He's a I, I appreciated his performance. And of course, it's the writing, but. I appreciated his performance of this part a lot more than I appreciate shouty standard villain writing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, um, just going back to the Forbidden Zone and the so the the radiation is caused by an exploded engine, and the other engines are about to explode. That's our our cliffhanger, you know, tension of, of this episode. And this is when about the time that the doctor and Kari, which is the 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 female pirate, mm -hmm. discover that Terminus was a time traveling ship that jettisoned its enormous unstable fuel supply in emergency, which it created the universe. So basically, yeah. Terminus created the universe. <laughs> this makes okay. So <laughs> scientific point number one: the doctor at one point is looking at a space map and goes, "That's funny. Terminus is right at the center of the known universe." And I'm like, okay, you know, everywhere is at the center of the known universe because we can't see the universe's edge. So wherever you are standing in the visible universe, it looks like you're at the center. Um, furthermore, in Big Bang cosmology, there is no center to the universe because all of the universe was compressed. All of the space was compressed into this point, which then expanded in an inflationary way very early on. And there is no there is no identifiable center to any of this. Furthermore, did the um, did Terminus really carry all of the atoms in the universe in its fuel tank? <laughs> because that's how much energy came out of the Big Bang once it cooled down and started clumping together to form atoms. Um, you know, this is a Im completely implausible idea. Also, it, point number three, it wasn't hydrogen. Event one was not a hydrogen inrush. It, it, in, 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 when the Big Bang occurred, the energy was so dense and the entropy was so low that it did not form atoms. In fact, it didn't even allow light to travel. It was like 300 million thousand or 300,000 or million years after the Big Bang before the energy density became low enough for light to turn on and light to start mm -hmm. propagating. And it was after that you got atoms. And so, and yeah, hydrogen was the big one. You also got a little bit of helium and a little bit of lithium. But Wow, they got the science wrong on this. And now I've got that out of my system. <laughs> I, you know, I will give them the center of the known universe because that mm -hmm. phrase, that word known means 
finite. There's mm-hmm. they don't know the the complete infinite universe. So yes, if you had a map of the part of the universe that was known at that time, there is going to be a center point. Well, did the fourth doctor which, just go to the edge of the uh, universe uh, a few of our episodes ago? But uh, in what story? Uh, what was the one where he the the where they ended up uh, in the underground uh, slave labor planet there? Uh, oh, that yeah um, yeah I'm blanking um, on it too. Let's just say science is not their forte on this show. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so I mean, I, again, I, I agreeing with everything you said, Jimmy, about about the Big Bang and all that. I, I can at least give them that. Yes, if there is a part of the universe that is known, there is a center point to it, and this terminus is there but of course that's going to change as they know more of the universe so it's it's also like looking at a map of the united states and saying funny topeka is like right in the center of the of the of this map pretty much it's like (laughs) okay so what yeah right right um yeah i i I did it was just funny it was the underworld was the fourth doctor Mm -hmm. story where they they went to the edge of the universe well, they've gone far afield from their original mandate of teaching kids science. That's let's just let's stipulate <laughs> that. Um, so, the if another engine explodes, it would not create a new universe. It would destroy the known universe. Is the doctor? Oh, thing. yeah, that was scientific point number four. Yeah, in ten billion years, maybe. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so the so Turlo, uh, uh, you know, Turlo was sort of I don't know how to describe him, but he's sort of the. The, the catalyst for all the bad things that happen in in, uh, in his time with the doctor, because like you said, like we said, he messed with the console. They ended up here. Then he messes with the there. He and, and Tegan are stuck underneath the decks of the of the ship uh, in the smuggling <laughs> holes or something. And so he's messing with stuff to get doors open and starts this chain reaction to destroy the universe. I'm not sure how messing with the ship that brought them to Terminus causes a chain reaction problem on terminus unless mm-hmm. they are somehow connected but uh we'll we'll move on past that um, they've got bad wi-fi security very bad meanwhile uh alvier comes to rescue nissa who's been you know hung out for king kong uh <laughs> like yeah. bay ray uh and uh and, and so he comes to rescue her and while he's battling i like that my spell check changed it from valgar to vulgar which is kind of fun <laughs> Uh, he battles Valgard. The Garm takes away Nissa. He wails, "Oh no, Nissa! Where is she gone?" And it's like they're, they're literally on screen, like next yeah. to him. I just thought it was hysterical. Uh, you can you can see the the Garm's legs as he's carrying <laughs> off Nissa in the background. Yeah, right, right. Like he's literally like six feet from him. Yeah, turn where around, is she gone? Dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and speaking speaking of Nissa being carried by the Garm, every time he picks her up, she immediately faints. Because <laughs> yeah, not like she's there, you know, kicking and screaming like Fay Ray. No, she's like limp. <laughs> well, you know, if I had a big doggy man that would carry me around, I would go limp in his arms too. Because it's like he looked very cuddly. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Nissa realizes that after she gets the the the, the dosage, it, it turns out that the Garm does cure people. He's not a a monster. Uh, he's, he is helpful, wants to be helpful, uh, wants to hold a door. Uh, it, you remind me of Hodor from Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, Nissa realizes it's a uncontrolled treatment, random massive dose of radiation, and then, um, decontamination, hoping it works. And so she decides that she's going to stay behind to make it work. And I should mention at the beginning of the episode, she was working on this, um, enzyme, enzyme 
that Adric had done all the math calculations for. And so she was trying to, to recreate the work and wasn't getting the math right. So maybe if she used a computer and not an abacus, that would help. But in any case, she's decided that she, this is her life work. She wants to, her time, you know, uh, tagging along with the doctor is over and she really wants to stay behind and make a difference and help the, all of these Lazars uh, on Terminus. Mm-hmm. And this is a better exit than um, than what they gave Mel, mm-hmm. where she decides to to just start traveling with Sabalom Glitz out of the air for no reason. Right. Um, so here we have an actual motive for the character leaving, and and this is a this is a this is a this is a pretty good one. This is one of the voluntary companion departures. Where a where a character and it's not a love. I've, I've fallen in love, and so I I have to leave now. It's reasonably set up. I also like the way they handle the acting that Sarah Sutton does and the lines they give her as she informs Tegan first, and then mm-hmm. Tegan yeah. protests and and tells the doctor and and uh, 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 but Nissa is adamant. In fact, she says, "I'm adamant." <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh uh and and it's a reasonable exit um yeah. you know I, I you could write it a little bit better but it's pretty well done unfortunately so peter davison and and sarah sutton apparently were not happy about this mm. sarah sutton apparently did not want to go at least i've read that and and she was she would have been happy to stay on the series but they decided to write her out and of all the companions he had peter davison has repeatedly said that he felt nissa's character best suited his doctor Mm. so she was kind of like his favorite companion and they wrote her out and she didn't even want to go yeah yeah i was afraid that what they were going to do was make a a a romance plot between her and olvier that that that, i thought that's Mm. what they were building for i'm glad they they didn't mm -hmm. and they, they kind of implied that at least on his part that there was interest there. Yeah. And again, that, that whole thing, Nissa, where are you? You know, <laughs> I, I will find you. Yeah. You know, I will avenge you or what, however you want to put it. But yeah. and I, I, I really did like the, the, the Tegan Nissa part because you don't hear what's said. All you see is basically Tegan's reaction. Yeah. And then she Visually. charges up to the doctor. It's like, convince her not to do this. And the doctor's like, what? Do what? Mm-hmm. You know, not do what? Right. So, how many more seasons is there of the fifth Doctor? There's one more after this one, one right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And the and the five Doctors special. Okay. Okay. So the, we do get more time with it. And uh, t- how long has Tegan got with the, with the Doctor? She's there mostly to the end. Um, yeah. She is eventually, she's going to leave voluntarily too. And you know how she kind of stormed out once. Right. She's going to storm out again. And this time it'll stick. And then we have Turlo. He goes pretty quickly thereafter. He does get back to his home planet. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they introduce Perry in the same story that Turlo goes in. Yep. And then the episode after that is Caves of Androzani. Right. So Turlo's around for a while. Then. Yeah, Turlo's oh, yeah. around for the next season. Oh, yep. okay, okay. I, th- I didn't and, realize he was beyond the Black Guardian trilogy. Yeah. And, and by, by the way, you know, we, were, we were talking about oh. Nissa take. Taking off her clothes, you know, she she does have more clothes on than Perry does when we first see her. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Perry's in a bikini. Perry's in a uh. bikini. Yeah. Also, there's another companion for Peter Davison we haven't even got to yet, but we're about to get to him. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we have to mention him. Is this the robot that I've heard yes. so much about? Chameleon. Chameleon. Yep. It's the, the robot. Failed, failed attempt to do a non, 
non-human companion that it's like canine didn't but work. didn't work. Yeah, canine but not good. <laughs> oh gosh! But fortunately, he only like really appears in in like two or three stories. Okay, so uh, and the doctor kills him. <laughs> yeah, good. So that sounds satisfying. Yeah. So, <laughs> Father Corey, any last notes on this episode? Uh, nothing here. I, I, it was an enjoyable enough episode. Yeah, uh, Jimmy. Um, I I agree. I I have in my notes a uh, creepy, realistic, bright light creeping around Terminus because in a lot of these shows, when they want to go creepy, they put it all in the dark, and this time they didn't. Terminus mm. is brightly lit, and despite that fact, people are creeping around, and it's effectively eerie. Um, so I thought it was. It's a little slow paced, but it I think it's it does have this kind of cinematic slow burn feel to it. It has that the 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 dystopian feel. It's not like Star Trek like of this era, like next gen, which had a more brightly lit sort of uh sets and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it has its own appeal. It's a, it feels sort of a used universe dystopian feel mm-hmm. to the yeah. to the sets here. So that was that was pretty good. Awesome. All right, so I, I mentioned we have some listener feedback, and so yeah. this is some feedback that goes way back. Uh, this comes from Ted uh, via email, who says, uh, long story, so I'll keep it short. I started reading Space Helmet for a Cow, part two. That's mm-hmm. the book you mentioned, Jimmy, about the making of Doctor Who. So to follow the book, I started a rewatch again of New Who, and of course, re- re-listened to the Secrets of Doctor Who podcasts. Upon listening to some listener feedback at the end of an episode, there were some comments about Adric's last adventure with the Doctor in Earthshock. The, in the, as, as from the perspective of Terminus, that's only a few episodes ago. Right. The comments were very insightful because one of the comments was from me. Ha ha ha, Ted. And one of the hosts commented they were surprised that there were not more comments specifically about Adric. And it was said that if anyone had any further comments regarding Adric's departure, they were welcome. So more than a year later, I have some more to add. <laughs> I think that the fact Adric was involved with the destruction of the dinosaurs just added one more thing for fans to use as a reason why they dislike him. I know because everyone loves dinosaurs. With all kidding aside, it was refreshing for the Doctor to have a companion like Adric and later Turlow, who worked behind the Doctor's back to undermine him. I would love to hear the team's thoughts on this subject. Then he has something else to add uh, after that, but we could talk about this part first. And I was thinking that about Turlow. It's interesting to have a companion on board the TARDIS who is not working with the Doctor but against him. It's unusual. I, yeah, Father Corey, you first. I, I agree in some extent. I think the problem with Adric was... He was so annoying about it. I mean, he was just kind of an <laughs> annoying character. But with 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 Turlo, there was a much clearer reason why he was he was working against the Doctor. You know, he was you know in really slavery to the the Black Guardian. You mm-hmm. know, he was he was stuck with the Black Guardian. Adric was just like he flowed wherever the winds blew. Mm-hmm. If he felt like the 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 uh protagonist the doctor was the one that he needed to follow he followed the doctor if he felt the antagonist was the one to follow whoever was against the doctor then he immediately switched sides and would just jump back and forth adric was just kind of he just kind of blew in the wind when it came to who, where his loyalties were and i, I that was mm. that was kind of part of the issue i had with him at least yeah i i give him props for you know trying to think creatively about how companions can be used on the show and they were, and I agree. Adric is just, Adric's just an idiot who yeah. <laughs> who keeps who keeps falling for villains' lies. 
Um, he's he. Whereas the situation with Turlow is much more clearly defined in dramatic terms, and so I give him props for that. I I still think that the Black Guardian is way. It, it's it's very it's very melodramatic writing. It's very ham fisted. Mm. You know, the Black Guardian is just constantly demanding that Turlow kill the Doctor, and 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 when Turlow is pointing out, well, I can't. He's not here. The Black Guardian is like kill him anyway, which yeah. you know it's, he's just irrational in his hatred of the Doctor, and and it's very ham-fisted writing. But at least they're trying to think of of creative ways to use companions. Um, they also don't let the Turlo situation drag out too long because the next uh, the next uh, Peter Davison story we'll do is Enlightenment, which is the third part of the Black Guardian trilogy, where Turlo is finally forced to choose between the Doctor and the Black Guardian. Um, and of course, since he's going to be around for the next season, he chooses for the doctor as you would expect him to. Yeah. But I, I do appreciate them trying to be creative. I think it is more successful in Turlow's case than Adric's. I was just thinking, you reminded me, I was going to mention this anyway. Um, so there's a, a guy on YouTube who has a channel called Sycorax Rock, mm. and he's got this wonderful project he's doing called 13 Songs for 13 Doctors, where he takes a pop song that was, you know, around when the a given doctor was on the air and rewrites the lyrics to fit the the tenure of that doctor and then makes a video out of it and records the song. And he's got all these clips from and it's really a wonderful project. You should go by and and subscribe to his channel. But in his fifth doctor video, it's a rewrite of Total Eclipse of the Heart. And it's called Total Eclipse of the Celery Heart. <laughs> and a couple of the lyrics like uh, early on in the song at one point it's like every now and then i get all angry at adric because he always falls for obvious plots <laughs> and it's like yep that's true and then later on in the song um he's uh he's he, he, the key, key has shifted a little bit and he's he's singing um terminus is doomed and this has gone away and i kind of got the feeling i got dumped for the plague <laughs> that's a good line um yeah you know it feels like turlo is their attempt to reboot what they thought they were going to do with adric which is mm -hmm. you know have a, an agent of chaos uh, undermining the doctor and because adric was just like you said father Corey, blowing in the wind and sometimes he was friends and sometimes he wasn't uh turlo is much is very clearly at the beginning against the doctor and then switches and it's a clear switch and then we stick with yeah. one or the other adric was originally envisioned as being the artful dodger and wow did they fail to pull off the artful <laughs> dodger yeah yeah uh then the rest of ted's uh email is uh, i do believe that your 300th episode is coming up in the near future that's right mm -hmm. about 15 more episodes and I would love it if that episode was focused on the Doctor's companions and maybe a ranking of the companions from number four to ten, because we all know that the top three companions are Jamie, Leela, and Amy. Well, uh, I, I think you I, might have you some know, arguments about that. You might have some argument on that, but uh, but that's an interesting idea. That might be fun to do as a our ranking thought, yeah. of the companions. I thought about when I read that. Um, I thought, and I don't know exactly how we do this, but you know how those tier ranks are really popular on YouTube now. Oh, yes. I would be interested in uh, in doing a, my own tier ranking of the companions. Like, like a and, bracket? 
Yeah. So yeah. like you've got the it's like on Tier Zoo, if you've ever seen the Tier Zoo channel. Okay. But uh it's I've seen a lot of other channels doing it and yeah. you've you you have like different levels that you put them at. I couldn't rank them one by one and have it be meaningful in the sense of like this character is ever so slightly better than that character. But right. I could put them in tiers. Right. And say, okay, like Leela is a tier one companion, whereas Katrina is a tier five companion or oh, whatever. I was, I was thinking and maybe they, doing like a bracket competition where you you narrow them down until you get the one companion. No, this is this is more like you, you'd have like S, A, B, C, D. Yeah. S is superior yeah. and then A, B, C, D. Yeah. And then maybe even an F. Like well, just like this companion is a complete failure. Just don't even. Uh, and oh, a lot of okay. times you'll see that for um, like card games you'll see that for video games like you know yeah i've seen those you know and that might actually be a good way to do it where we could go through and make our own tiers Mm -hmm. of companions and it wouldn't have to be all of them you know maybe we focus on the the major ones you know the ones that uh that have more than say like one episode or two episode with the doctor you know right they would have to be people who traveled but or we could each do our own thing if dom wants to do a a bracket competition among the companions and make them fight to the death because there can be only one (laughs) Dom can do that. I'll do my tier zoo of companions. Or yeah, see, whatever. I, I like the idea of the tiers mm-hmm. too. But if it were literal combat, it would of course be Jamie. But yeah, that's just. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Ace, know. Might Le- give, Ace might give him a, a run for his money. Just blow him up with Nitro Nine or <laughs> yeah. or Leela is really good at throwing Janus thorns. That's right. Well, and then you've uh, you've got the uh, Soldier Boy at the end there. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Danny Pink. Uh, so <laughs> I don't um, think he has the heart. Nope. No. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, Rory spent a lot of time as a as a Roman soldier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Leela is ruthless, though, especially yes. in the early days. She will just throw a Janus thorn at you and not care. <laughs> yep. Cut your throat without thinking about it. That's true. <laughs> so, uh, the very very good idea. <laughs> Thank you, Ted, for the interesting ideas. We'll 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 be sure to think about that as we get uh, in, a, in just a few months to our three hundredth episode. All right, that does it for this time. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who, including John T., Leah H., Ben H., Christian G., and Philip C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of this fifth Doctor story, Terminus, or of the idea of ranking companions. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the new StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the twelfth Doctor story, Time Heist. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. Companions hurry back to the TARDIS, then collapse upon the ground. Look around. 
Isn't that the trouble with regeneration? You just never know what you're gonna get. Every now and then I get all angry at Hadra Cause he always falls for obvious plots Every now and then I get a little bit terrified When Tegan's got that look in her eyes Every mythic story has a start Every London fire has a spark Whoops, I drop the sonic terror, leptos destroy it, guess I'll have to improvise. Every now and then I'm getting framed for a murder that some mob across his brother commits. Every cyberman just looks a little bit different when the camera's pointed straight at their bums. All these cybermen would be a little bit chiller if they watched a sunset or smelled a rose. Guess the mass extinction was his fault. Oh my God, time flies. Every Zeraphin is a gestalt. Oh my God, is back alive. Putting Amsterdam in terror. And the face on the mask, it makes five. But did you forget the wearer? And the Mara still survives. Dude, is that Martin Clunes? Modern's race is desperate at the end of the line. And Turlo's got a shadow looming all of the time. Terminus is doomed and this has gone away. And I kinda got the feeling I got dumped for the plague. Somebody give me a light. Eternals are so impolite. Sometimes it's plain as black. Once upon a time, good innings were mine. Now I'd feel I'm taking a walk. This one thing I can trust my totally sweet celery stock. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Peter Howell. of little Hodgecomb never gave up the fight. The TARDIS got destroyed by a meteorite. Tegan's had enough. There's Daleks in the docks. And it's so goddamn grim even the Daleks have space box. And where's Chameleon tonight? The Master's trying to start a fight. The Master's gonna see. Wonder what's in store on this world. What's it called? And Razani Minor, you say. I got a funny feeling everything might be okay.
If you give a fig, why must I wear the sprig? Well, this might just come as a shock. It could save my life, my totally sweet celery stock. Brave heart, take My totally sweet celery stock.